Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Thanks for joining us tonight. I am Doris Hansen, the host of Polygamy, What Love Is This? I was born and raised in the Kingston Polygamy Group, and um, I ran away when I was 18 years old. And 25 years later, I found the truth, and now I'm blessed to be able to fight for the truth. And we host a discussion group uh, every month for people whose lives have been touched with polygamy, where we are free to talk about the truth. And our next meeting is going to be April 2nd at 6.30. 30 p.m. That's a Monday evening. Anyone who would like to come, if you are in a polygamy group now or have been in one and you would like to uh, come and talk to people of like mind, you're welcome to come and join us and just talk or just listen. Our email address is um, tv at aboutpolygamy.com if you would like to have more information or you can call and leave your number and we'll call you back and give you information about uh, the meeting. And also the Confident Parenting Conference um, will be having its final session this Sunday evening from 6 to 7 p.m. at Mill Creek Baptist Church. The address is 1515 East 4500 South. That's the holiday area of Salt Lake City. And you can come and learn what God would teach you about becoming competent and confident parents. You know, we receive a lot of uh, phone calls and emails from the LDS people, uh, some of them emphatically, sometimes very angrily reminding us that section 132 of their Doctrine and Covenants is not about polygamy, but it's about eternal celestial marriage. However, polygamists will never say such a thing because they know that section 132 is about polygamy. In the early days, celestial marriage was polygamy. There is no question about that whatsoever. Let me give you a couple of examples about that. When the revelation was first printed, when the revelation about polygamy was first printed in the Millennial Star in 1853, this is the way it was presented. And we're going to put it on the screen so you can very clearly see how it was written. Celestial marriage, a revelation on the patriarchal order of matrimony or plurality of wives. Given to Joseph Smith the seer in Nauvoo, July 12th, 1843. So you can see that celestial marriage was plurality of wives when it was first introduced, and it was always that way until recently. Uh, Also, a plural wife of Joseph Smith, Emily Partridge said, and we're going to put her quote on the screen for you to read as well, and she said, Joseph Smith taught me this principle of plural marriage that is called polygamy now, but we called it celestial marriage. So if one of Joseph Smith's own wives knew that, that celestial marriage was polygamy, I suppose we ought to take it that that is what it is. In the early days when polygamy was first 
secretly introduced by Joseph Smith. It was called celestial marriage. Polygamy was also referred to in other terms, terms like eternal marriage, patriarchal marriage, plural marriage, celestial marriage, the priesthood. Believe it or not, polygamy was referred to as the priesthood and also just plain polygamy. All these terms referred to polygamy as is revealed in the entirety of section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants. But in today's ever-changing Mormon doctrinal climate, all kinds of tweaking is made to doctrine. And they redefine original Mormon doctrine as section 132 has not escaped. Tonight, we are going to discuss section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants, and we're going to discuss the polygamy historic, historic, the polygamous history behind it. (laughs) And to add... To add his emphasis to our discussion is our returning guest and number one hero, Charles Larson. Oh. <laughs> Doris, it's, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> I saw that YouTube today. Oh, really? Where, where you were accused oh, that, of thinking you were the one, number one hero. <laughs> yes, I was, I was quite uh, abashed. <laughs> Anyway, it's referring to your book, By His Own Hand Upon Papyrus. And I just thought we'd let our our viewers know that, um, um, in in case they're not familiar with the book, or if they're familiar with the book and not familiar with you as the author, that we ought to just tell them a a little bit about it, where they could buy the book. Do you want to do that? All right, certainly. Uh, The book is available at any... Christian bookstore. I almost said LDS bookstore. (laughs) The book is available at any Christian bookstore. It can be ordered at any major bookstore. A person can also go online uh, or write to the publisher, IRR, Institute for Religious Research in Grand Rapids, Michigan. If a Mormon would like this book, IRR will send it to them at no cost. And I would imagine that that would be Mormon fundamentalists as well. Would well, be able to do that. Mormon fundamentalists are more Mormon than Mormons. That's very true. Yes, we uh, we, we <laughs> so hold that. They, they they deserve the they deserve and are entitled to the uh, term as much as anyone who wants to call themselves a Mormon. They certainly do. That's for sure true. Well, we decided to talk about Section 132 tonight and to bring kind of a different uh, perspective on it, maybe looking at it from a different angle. Um, And what kind of um, precipitated our choice to do that was a letter that you received from someone who had read your book. And we did a book review on that book uh, a few months ago. Yes, that was my other book, uh, a a novel that I wrote about... uh, well, Utah culture, and it mm-hmm. contains quite a bit of polygamy in it as mm-hmm. well. Yes, sure that does. was uh, Destroying Angel, which is uh, also available. Uh, well, right now on Amazon, I'm not sure of any other bookstores that are carrying it at the moment, but we have hopes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Would you like to share that letter with I would, our viewers I would. before it was, we get it was rather started, touching. and then they'll know kind of what uh, where we're coming from with this? Of course. The gentleman wrote to me, and he mentioned, of course, having read Destroying Angel and that he found it very informative and thought-provoking and so forth. One particular line in his letter, though, was where he said, For the first time in many years, I reread Section 132, this time without the blinders that I lost years ago. To tell the truth, it made me ill. And I communicated with him some more after that, but... I think that the purpose of looking into this this evening is because Section 132 for a 
thoughtful person who actually examines it in its context, it should make them ill. It should make them just weep and mm -hmm. rage and so many different things at the same time because all Section 132 is is the blatant manipulation by a sexual predator of his wife through the use of spiritual blackmail. Mm -hmm. That's that right. is Section so, 132. So that's the, the uh, aspect we're going to take on it tonight, yes. considering the, the historical accounts yes. that, uh, that are recorded. People can find them if they want to do their own research on this. It's all that, there. That it is. It's all there. <laughs> More than they ever really wanted to know, I'm sure. But uh, Joseph Smith did have sexual alliances early on in his prophetic career, so to speak. Yes. So um, from your own studies and conclusions, um, do you believe that Joseph Smith was a genuine, legitimate prophet of God? No, I don't believe that he ever received any communication from God. That everything that he taught, from the Book of Mormon clear on up through polygamy, to the day that he died, every concept, every precept, every doctrine, was of his own mind and for his own edification and glorification. Now, I say I begin with the Book of Mormon because the Book of Mormon is really where his history begins. And all of the things that are supposedly predated, like the first vision and all, were all recorded, created afterward. So Joseph Smith basically was a manipulator and a liar from the beginning. I've shown that in my book by his own hand upon papyrus, that what he purported to be Egyptian papyri were nothing of the sort that all of the nonsense that he put out from it was nothing but that nonsense. All of the doctrine that grew from it was not of God. Mm -hmm. But when you get to section 132, you have a window into this man, into his mind, into his psyche, and to realize that this evil piece of work, it's all I can, it's a dirty, evil piece of work. To realize that this is the basis that starry-eyed young people aspire toward for their eternal marriage when they go to the temple, it makes you ill. It is. It does. It makes you ill. Now, we get from, uh, from some viewers um, phone calls, even on the show we've had it, and I've had personal sure. phone calls and also emails. Well, Joseph Smith was a fallen prophet. He was a, a good prophet at the beginning, but he was a fallen prophet. Um, however, I think at this point I would like to mention, you know, the Bible is our authority, and we go to the Bible for all things. And so I, for, for those of you who are watching tonight who, who want to take the stance that Joseph Smith was a fallen prophet, he was good to begin with, I'd like to bring up two incidences in the Bible of fallen prophets and see if you really want mm. to follow a fallen prophet. This will be good. The <laughs> first one is in 1 Kings chapter 13, uh, and you might want to write this down, verses 11 through 29. And very quickly, it's about a man who is a prophet whom God God had sent to do a job, and he gave him instructions, specific instructions to do that job, but he listened to someone else who told him that he should be doing this when God had told him not to do this, but he did it anyway because this prophet told him to, and on the way home, when he was done doing what he shouldn't have done, God sent a lion, the lion attacked him and mauled him to death and killed him. That's what happened to that fallen prophet. Another one is called Balaam. Now, Balaam was kind of an an, an odd type of a prophet in the Old Testament, but he got instructions from God as well. And Balaam tried to combine sexual immorality and religion. Does that sound familiar? 
That's exactly what Joseph Smith also did and what he taught the early Mormons to do. And Balaam was teaching the Israelites to do the same thing. Balaam was killed for his efforts and so was Joseph Smith. You can read about Balaam in Numbers chapters 22 through 25 and also chapters 31. So it's dangerous to follow a false prophet. You know, that story of Balaam it reminds me of what Yogi Berra said, that it's like deja vu all over again. Yes, it <laughs> is. It is. It, it is. It's very, it's scary. They, they should run. <laughs> okay, let's talk about some historical incidents that prove that Joseph Smith had a, a strong propensity toward having affairs with other women. Right. Well, the first that comes to my mind, of course, is with Fanny Alger. Fanny Alger was a uh, was a girl who worked in the Smith home in the I believe it was 1831 was this early, early 30s, yes something. very early 30s and uh, th remember that story about where some men go and attack Joseph and tar and feather him and mm -hmm. one is supposed to castrate him but he just can't do it and what have you and mm -hmm. the next morning Joseph cleans himself off and preaches a good sermon and all it was relatives of of this girl that that were responsible for that. Mm -hmm. And in later years, uh, Oliver Cowdery, of course, wrote with disgust mm -hmm. about the filthy, dirty, nasty affair with Fanny Alger. Mm -hmm. He did. Okay, uh, Joseph, right. this is before Joseph began teaching polygamy, at least secretly or even openly, or, I mean, he hadn't developed any ideas toward it. He was just acting as a, an alpha male who has groupies and women who follow him and think he's just the most wonderful thing there is. <laughs> and he, he was, um, some unavoidable facts about this is that polygamy and bigamy were both illegal at the time. Yes. And he penned the Articles of Faith that said we believe in keeping the laws of the land. So that shows that there is a huge contradiction in, in what he believed and what he taught. Oh, oh always, all there always was. And, and <laughs> the Book of Mormon, he penned the Book of Mormon. You know, when he first wrote the Book of mm -hmm. Mormon, he signed it as being proprietor and author. Oh, yes. As of the book. So mm -hmm. he was the author of the Book of Mormon, which con which condemned polygamy. Mm -hmm. So, again, he was being contradictory in what he wrote and what he did. Oh, of course. You know, of course, he, he claimed, or Latter-day Saints today claimed that he had to put that in because of the mm -hmm. copyright laws, but there were no such copyright laws. They've never produced the copyright law that would require him to say that he was an author. So it... Uh, it's, it's a funny little argument. <laughs> I wonder if it was from God. I mean, we don't have copyright laws attached to the Bible, do we? No, I don't believe we do. I, have I, th I think anyone can print and publish the Bible. But if you, you, know, you, you can go online even and, and find the Scripture online, you can, or the Bible, as script, the real Scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find it in any number of cases and just read it. You try to go online and access uh, Scripture texts from... Uh, Mormon scriptures, you have to buy a membership or you have to buy a CD or you have to go through all kinds of clubs or memberships or something or join something. It's not just there. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I find that interesting. They control those copyrights extremely yeah, tight. They do the control them, yeah. don't we? <laughs> Another one was Mary Elizabeth Rollins. She was married to Adam Leitner. Mm -hmm. And yes. she said that as early as 1834, Joseph Smith had, command, had, had uh, asked her to be his wife which she didn't do. And later in 1843, I believe it was, he came to her and said that an angel of God came and with a flaming sword threatened to kill him if he didn't practice polygamy, which he was already <laughs> practicing. And so, and by that time, she was married to Adam Leitner. And this is what she said that Joseph told her. She said, um, if God told him so, if God told Joseph so, why didn't he tell me? 
If God told Joseph I was to be his, why didn't right. God come and tell me? Joseph told her that she was his before she came here, and he said all the devils in hell should never get her from him. So she was married to him, sealed to him in the Masonic Hall in February 1842. And at that time, she uh -huh. was the legal wife of Adam Leitner. I remember reading about that, right. I, I remember I was struck by the idea of the angel with the flaming sword appearing to Joseph all those years later. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, a sword, it probably takes a long time to get a sword to burn, so maybe that's why the <laughs> angel was so slow. <laughs> I don't know. But he was chasing after Mary Rollins. He was chasing yeah, after Fanny anyway, Alger. Anyway. Um, there just shows that historical background of yes. his character. It was and his these, character. These are all documented historical facts with all the footnotes. Well, then you, you come to the Partridge twins. Uh, Emily and Eliza Partridge, uh, they were wards, uh, the daughters of uh, Edward Partridge. They were wards of the, of the Smiths and living in the Smith home in the mansion house. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, why they ended up there instead of with Edward Partridge. I know that Edward Partridge's wife died, but... Uh, Emily and Eliza, as they were growing up, just as, as, as budding teenage girls, young girls starting to swell and get there, Joseph secretly married them mm -hmm. months before uh, he officially married them in Emma's presence. Mm -hmm. So, and that's true. Uh, and then, the, and William Law, he was a close confidant, or at least a close friend of Joseph Smith for a while. Yes. He filed a lawsuit. This is the reaction of people around him. Uh, in response to his sexual mm -hmm. dalliances. He filed a lawsuit. He began the Nauvoo Expositor so that he could expose Joseph yes. Smith's secrets. People left the Mormon church because of polygamy. People refused to join the Mormon church in those times because of polygamy. Yes. And William Law one time said in, a, in an interview with the Salt Lake Tribune, later he said, and I quote, Joseph was very free in his talk about his women. He told me one day of a certain girl and remarked, that she had given him more pleasure than any girl he had ever enjoyed. I told him it was horrible <laughs> to talk like this. Yeah. And this from a prophet of God? Right. Speaking for Prophet God? of God speaking to people that he was trying to initiate into the practice in order to go and give justification to his own actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you talked about the Partridge sisters. Um, very often, uh, Joseph Smith had girls in his home as servants or yes. maid servants, and, and then he would seduce them, <laughs> and, and they would become a pearl right. wives to him. And the Partridge right. sisters is exactly what happened exactly. with them. Exactly. Um, what are your theor theories about um, how Joseph Smith, when it came time to present plural marriage to Emma? What, how, how do you think he may have presented it? I mean, what do you think happened oh, there? Oh, goodness. Well, we know that the thing was kind of half-baked because there were so many inconsistencies at the beginning. Uh, marrying of women that were already married to someone else while they remained married to someone else, uh, on and on. Um, marrying the elderly mothers of hot young girls and mm -hmm. so forth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> many different things were going on. And I, I guess I would have to go and say that I can only arrive at my theory by recognizing that Joseph Smith was never really a true prophet of God, that he never really had communication with God. This was Joseph acting mm -hmm. on his own. That's why it looks so haphazard. That's why it is so convoluted and why it is so mixed up. I think that when Joseph first tried to approach 
Emma with this. He probably portrayed it as something that was totally platonic and non-physical, a completely spiritual type of a relationship, uh, something necessary because the patriarchs did it. And you know, he would work out the details maybe a little bit later on as to just what was behind it, but it was not to be physical. It was, it was if anything, akin to the way that a, a Catholic nun would become a bride of Christ. Okay, so th this would probably make sense, and I suspect that when he officially married the Partridge sisters some months after he had secretly married them, with Emma present and had Emma go and hand them over and so forth, that, that this was the story that had been given to, uh, to Emma. Of course, when Emma found out from people like William Clayton, uh, Joseph's secretary, that when Joseph traveled and took uh, Emily Partridge with him, that they slept together in the same bed and that he enjoyed her. I think that that kind of came a little bit unglued. I suspect that there were a lot of words in that household and uh, many things that led up to what eventually became Joseph's last desperate attempt to silence Emma and intimidate her with Section 132, God speaking directly to her and telling her to shape up her, she was going to be damned. So. Now, in, in the early days when, when Fanny Alger was in the picture, yes. uh, she was, Emma was outside doing whatever she was doing, and she heard this noise in the barn. And she went over to the barn, peeped through the little crack there, and there was Fanny and Joseph having a roll in the hay, literally. Mm -hmm. She watched the deed being done, she said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she knew that he was involved sexually with at least one oh, other yes. woman. But then she found, um, uh, she came out of her bedroom one day, and right out there in the hall was Joseph Smith embracing um, Eliza Snow. Oh, yes. And she she threw a fit and knocked her down the stairs. Knocked her down the her stairs with a broom, that's right. And uh, she supposedly was pregnant at the time and lost her baby. How, it was Joseph's baby. How many times, though, have you heard that a woman who lives with an abusive husband, and this was emotional and sexual abuse, will do everything she can to make excuses for him and keep on forgiving him, uh -huh. keep giving him another chance. Uh, I think that Emma was much like this. Emma was not a bad woman. Emma was a very used and abused woman. Uh, Brigham Young grew to hate her, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, he didn't, he, <laughs> whole other he did story not like her. Bit. You know, Joseph Smith, when he would proposition married women to become his plural wife, and they would say no, whenever they would mm. say no, he would threaten them to ruin their character if they ever told anybody. Oh, yeah. Do you suppose he might have done that with Emma? He might have threatened her with something if she ever kicked up too big of a storm over this. I think it's certainly possible um, I don't know if he would have had to use that on his wife because he had so many other hooks into her with their family, their children, the fact that he was the leader, he was the, the prestige magnet, and that she mm -hmm. was attached to him. And she had some prestige attached to being his wife as well. She certainly did. Uh, all of her position. Uh, we, we all hear the stories of you know the, the politician's wife, the good wife that, that does her thing, that uh, you know supports her man, stands by her man, mm -hmm. even though he didn't have it with that woman type of thing. So yeah. I, I suspect Emma was much like that. In the Salt Lake Tribune interview with William Law, I'd like to quote something that he said about Emma. <clears throat> and I quote, um, They asked William Law, What do you remember about Emma's reactions to the revelation on celestial marriage? 
He said, well, I told you that she used to complain to me about Joseph's escapades whenever she met me on the street. She po spoke repeatedly about that pretended revelation. She said once, the revelation says I must submit or be destroyed. Well, I guess I have to submit. On another day, she said, Joe and I have settled our troubles on the basis of equal rights. What do you suppose that means? We're going to get to that later. Oh, it's yes. In verse 51. <laughs> so her reactions to the, to the, the extramarital dal dalliances that Joseph mm -hmm. Smith had, she did react pretty strongly. Oh, she reacted pretty strongly, and I suspect that it became something that we, we can't picture Emma as this shrinking violet, you know, weeping type of woman that is just constantly being phased by the same thing over and over and over again. She had to get to a point where she developed a thick, leathery skin toward it mm -hmm. and dealt with it as best she could. Uh, it, it could not have been a, a very good marriage, but it was the only one she had at the time. Well, and she could have gone into denial for some of it because after Quite she a was lot. killed, she denied that it Oh, and she existed. spent the rest of her life denying yeah. it. She raised her sons denying it. I remember reading when David, uh, the youngest, child of Joseph, the one who was actually born after he was killed. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, he was the only one that was born in the covenant because he was born after Emma had officially allowed Joseph to take plural wives. So that child was born in the covenant and his previous children weren't. Right. Everyone looked to David as being the future leader of the church. Even, even out here in Utah, they believed that when he matured, he would eventually lead the church fooled them. Yeah, he spent happen. his life in an insane asylum instead. But <laughs> My goodness. There are so many things about Joseph Smith's plural wife adventures that were confused, that seemed to be in flux, um, marrying other men's wives. Do you think that Joseph ever could have or would have sorted it out? No. And I think that, frankly, the best thing that could have happened to the LDS church was his martyrdom, you see. If Joseph had continued living, he was making such a mess. People were leaving because of what he was doing, and and you know the laws are just one example. There were, there were hundreds and hundreds of them. Brigham Young did his best, of course, to go and drive people out of the church and drove out a very good many back in his day. But I think that Joseph would have eventually collapsed the entire thing with his with his lies upon lies and peccadillos and everything else. I don't think that he ever sorted polygamy out. I think that he was constantly evolving with the situation as it occurred, just like all of the rest of his doctrine was, all the rest of his organization was. He would delegate things to people who seemed competent and then th something would work out. Something would happen in his personal life where things didn't work out and he'd have to go and create a whole new branch of doctrine or ideas or teachings or whatever to do it. Uh, and every other LDS leader, you know, of the 19th century at least, did much the same thing. And that's why they all contradict each other. That's why they all contradict each other. But as, as far as polygamy goes, I think that Joseph Smith's death, after having carved Section 132, is what cemented polygamy as a doctrine. It set it in stone and gave those who he had initiated into it, the, the true believers, the mm -hmm. ones who really believed and followed Joseph, they had to really follow and believe that. And because that was what it said, they spent the rest of their ten years and the rest of their lives finding ways to justify it, finding ways to make it work, finding ways to implement it. Uh, Joseph didn't have a chance 
to louse it up anymore or confuse it anymore than he already had. And when, when a prophet, when, when people believe that someone's a prophet and they say, thus saith the Lord, yeah. Joseph Smith knew the power of those words. Yeah. He knew that power. He didn't give some mealy little talk up there and, and talk about how he interpreted something. He wrote down, thus saith the Lord, and then spoke in, in the third person voice of God, uh, you know, giving instructions and damning people and blessing people and on and on and on. And if you believe the guy, then you had to go ahead and accept that that was what he was doing. In, uh, during this time when he was trying to sort some of these things out, Joseph Smith uh, later told the Nauvoo police, and this is what he said. He said that he was, quote, exposed to far greater danger from within than from enemies without the church. And this is in History of the Church, Volume oh. 6. So talk, he, about, <laughs> talk about deja vu, Doris. I, uh, Adolf Hitler said exactly the same thing. <laughs> Of, of, of his followers hmm. uh, right after his assassination attempt in, in 1944. I, it, the, the parallel is eerie. The, the, the people within <laughs> yeah. were more of his enemies than the people outside That's right. of the church were yeah, because I, of this polygamy and, and all of the other things and that the he was bank doing. Fraud because so they were either things. totally for him or else they began to back up and yeah. look at him and say, wait a minute. Yeah. Would a real prophet be doing that? Would a man of God be doing that? And you know, you know they they weren't quite quite into it as much as they thought they were. Yeah, they they found out God would not really oh, do this dear. kind of thing. Um, would this be further evidence then that the entire thing was never initiated by by God? That Joseph Smith was acting on his own? Well, I don't I don't see any instance in real scripture in the Bible where where God ever confused things to the point where He allowed. Uh, a leader or his followers to misinterpret something and create all kinds of divisions and false doctrine and and that that's not how it works. Mm -mm. It yes, isn't no, how it works. And and, it works. and certainly Mormon leaders today like to go ahead and portray that everything was thoroughly smooth, everything worked out exactly as it was supposed to. No competent person with any sense reading Mormon church history could ever get that type of an impression. They could only get that impression by reading commentaries of church history mm -hmm. by people that have been vetted and approved by the Correlation right. Committee to make sure that your faith is being promoted by what you read. Right, exactly. And and just a few months before he was killed, he he gave the Ken Follett Discourse. And in that discourse is the most blasphemous, oh. heretical statements that Joseph Smith could never have come from God, ever. Uh, he, in that discourse, he said basically the same thing that the serpent said to Eve. Yeah. You shall become gods. He said it in one third. Also, though, too. Mm -hmm, he did. It, to, it, you it, must it, be uh, yeah. leave polygamy the, in order to become a god. And that they're the ones. The ones that do this are the ones that go on to become gods. Mm -hmm. And that uh, the reason that they do it is in order that that the women will bear the souls of men. In other words, be eternally pregnant. Yeah. You know, they, they deride critics of the church today for using terms like that, but that's exactly what Joseph Smith taught. That's, that's exactly Mormonism. what his followers believed. That's, uh, that's foundational Mormonism, um, and that is what Mormonism is. It is. They, may, they may not know it, but that's what it is. Well, it's time to take a break. It's time to, uh, to show our message and to open up our telephone lines. 
Our telephone number is 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We'd love to hear your uh, input on this and join in on what we're talking about tonight. Uh, give us a call. Remember, we expect to have at least a two-way conversation when you call in and turn down your volume. And as the calls are coming in, we will give you now this message. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. You are welcome to join us in our monthly support group, Life After Polygamy, where you can meet others like yourself who are searching for answers about polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism. We meet monthly in the Salt Lake City area. For more details about time and place, call us toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. We want you to know that we have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, Make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we are interviewing Charles Larson. He's the author of the book, By His Own Hand Upon Papyrus, which shows the... the um, fraudulent way the Mormon Church has used the Book of Abraham uh, as being a true translation, which it is not. We've been discussing section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants tonight. Section 132 is the revelation on polygamy or plural marriage or celestial marriage, uh, which is all uh, the plural wifeism. And we've been discussing <laughs> the early history of Joseph Smith, recorded history. You can find all this stuff out for yourself if you don't want to believe the things that we're saying. But anyway, uh, we are grateful for the opportunity to just dig a little bit deeper into this revelation so-called on polygamy. Right now we have a call from Linda in Hurricane. Hello, Linda. Yes. 
Yes, you're on the air. Hi. Linda. Go ahead. You're on the air, Linda. What's your question or comment? Hi, Hi, Doris. I just wanted to say to Mr. Larson that I read his book, and it was very informative. And uh, I also had a question about um, how Joseph Smith was able to have relations with so many women and have so few records of any children. And I read in Fawn uh, Brody's book that I think it was a Dr. Bennett who may have taught him about mm-hmm. birth control. And I just wondered if he practiced birth control or had any means of doing that. I didn't know that was available back then. Are you asking me that? or Well, I wasn't there, <laughs> so I couldn't <laughs> say. But uh, I know that some of the women that uh, Joseph was with were married to other men and there was no way of course to do DNA in those days or to uh, really tell whose offspring a child was. I suspect that uh, you know Joseph wrote that he that the whole reason for polygamy was so that uh, a patriarch could have seed. Uh, he was to receive mm-hmm. the same promise that Abraham mm-hmm. received and yet he had very very little seed. Yeah. Why is that? Why is that? Well, we don't know. We don't know why. Uh, and we don't know really who his descendants are and who they aren't. But I suspect that because he was practicing in his life this this principle under the radar, so to speak, he tried to avoid having children. His object was not to have seed like he, like he told everyone in 132 it was. His object was to go and have women. Mm-hmm. So that was what his object was, and that was what he succeeded at. And and there was there is some uh, indication that, uh, and Sarah Pratt mentioned it also, that mm-hmm. there was some abortion taking place, that Dr. Bennett mm-hmm. was Could performing be. abortions for him, and a particular conversation where he, uh, one of Joseph Smith's women was in trouble, and he had to go help her out of that trouble. So uh, the the actually the the birth control pill wasn't available, but the control would have been abortion if they did that. Yeah. So I hope that helps your question, Linda. Okay, thank you. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye. Okay, line one. We have Bri calling from Ogden. Hello, Bri. Hello. Yes, you're on the air. Oh my goodness, is this? This is Doris. Well, great. I'm so I feel so fortunate to be able to speak with you today. I think you were fabulous up there, and I'm definitely glad to be with you today. Um, I just basically want to say that I'm in complete agreement with what you were saying, and I think you were so courageous to go and, and just say all the things that you're saying, where we're at, where this is such a big and almost controversial issue. Well, thank you for calling and, and yes, <laughs> giving us your comments about this. It, it, uh, there's not a lot of people who would agree with you, but we do appreciate the opportunity to be able to tell the truth. I agree with her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy to me because it's like I'm from California. I lived in California until I'm, I was 20, almost 21, and I'm 22 now. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of in shock because, I mean, I believe in God, but it's like, I've never lived somewhere where if you don't believe in God in a certain way, it uh, actually affects all the aspects of your life. And it's, it's really odd to me. And it's, and it's like how things are kind of hidden is odd to me. And so 
that's what kept me on this channel. I literally heard what you were saying, and I was like, ah, that's what I say. Because when I say it, I just, everyone looks at me, and oh my gosh, how can you say that? The little missionaries come to my house, and I think they're great, but they come to my house, and they're telling me about Joseph Smith, and I'm telling them, but hey, what about this? I looked up this, and this is happening, and he had all these wives, and what do you think of that? And they're kind of like, you know, well, um, he was a prophet of God, and it's like, when I look at the Bible, it never tells me, Joseph Smith will come and do this. Bria, I, I really am, I can empathize so much with your comments. Uh, living as a non-member in Utah, and well, as a former member <laughs> is even harder, but as a non-member in Utah, you, you soon learn that of these wonderful people that you're surrounded with, they will see you only one of two ways. Either someone who should be a member mm -hmm. of the LDS Church or someone who can't be. And, I've heard that as well. It's either yeah. those who, who are, those who, who want right. to be or should be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's actually upsetting to me how even the politics of, like, schools will, will be influenced by this. I'm a yes. Weber State student, and I um, noticed that a student who was a vice president for over a year wasn't chosen based on the fact that, you know, he didn't have as many people to back him from the church. Like, if you're from the church, you just know sure. more people. Yeah. And it was just insane to me because there's an institute. It's a great place, but it's, like, really close to all the people that knew this person that was going to the institute all the time, really close to the school. He had all the support. And, and then this underdog that, that just lacked that. Didn't he didn't make it have the machine, did he? <laughs> how it is kind of here. Yeah. Well, thank you, Brian. We do appreciate your uh, your encouragement on your phone call tonight. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it takes you to be out there on, on TV and, and letting everyone know how, how, how you feel and stuff like that. That's what's important. Well, we need to bring out the truth, and that's what we're up to. Love <laughs> okay. with that and stay looking fabulous. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Mm, bye. <laughs> okay, we have Andrea calling from Salt Lake City. Hello, Andrea. Oh, is there a delay? Okay. Um, yes. Yes, Andrea? <laughs> Hi. Yeah, I have a couple of questions. One, okay. one is about the Bible. Uh, I know in the Bible, you know, it, it, some of it's ancient and some of it's hard for people to really relate to today, but I think there's many really good truths in there. But, you know, throughout the Bible, there is also stories of the wives and the concubines that all these people have. So multiple mm -hmm. wives was part of the history in the past, and I'm not arguing. I don't agree with it. Mm -hmm. I have never felt right about it, and when I was um, in the church, that was one of the hardest things for me to, to deal with, uh -huh. is the polygamy, because polygamy just didn't seem right, just didn't feel right. I have ancestors that were involved, and it was really a heartbreaking situation right. for them, and I just, it never has felt right, but I wonder why people are so afraid to address it, and, and it's like they put the blinders on, and they will not. Um, they aren't willing to look at it or address it. All these really intelligent, kind people, but they will not address it. And you are evil if you do. That's yeah. right. That bothers me a lot. That's right. I imagine it has. You know, Andrea, a lot of LDS today, I think, look upon polygamy, or at least want others to look upon polygamy, as something quaint from the past, kind of like the way that they used to burn witches at Salem. You know, uh, that was quaint. But in yeah, Mormons used to practice polygamy. That was quaint. We don't do that anymore, and we're just nice family people. So I, I think that time has kind of smoothed that over. You mentioned something very 
Interesting to me, though, where you talked about the, uh, the, the patriarchs and people in the Bible where it's uh, mentioning the uh, practice of plural marriage. Well, it wasn't plural marriage. It was out-and-out -out polygamy. Mormon doctrine, starting with Joseph Smith, has rewritten a lot of that, trying to go and show that God was commanding this to happen. He had to do this in order to justify his polygamy today or, or in the last century. But if you really read through the Bible, you never find an instance where God is commanding mm -hmm. a person to enter into polygamy. Polygamy was a common custom in that part of the world in many cultures, and it still is. It okay. wasn't a religious custom? It was not a religious custom. Mormonism is the only culture in the world that has ever made plural marriage or polygamy a doctrine that leads to a person's elevated status in the afterlife. All of the others were simply, you know, cultural customs that were done. And God knew that his people uh, that he had called out, that he had spoken with, lived in this type of an environment. They did the type of things that other people did, not commanded by God, but simply because it was done there, when in Rome, when in Ethiopia, when in whatever. So polygamy does exist, and the Bible is very accurate about describing the fact that it existed. But when you take a man like, like David, who was a man after God's own heart, and yet he had over 300 wives and concubines. Okay. Not David. Not, you know, David. No, David didn't have No, Solomon wives. had 300 wives and, and concubines. Solomon, yeah. But David had uh, well, his he own had problems. Several. <laughs> he had several. It, it was the type of thing that occurred. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, God did not authorize it, but God did not... <laughs> well, look, look in the New Testament where it's talking about, you know, what a person has to do to be an upright member of the church, to be a deacon and so forth. They should be the husband of one wife, you know, not following the different types of customs and so forth that they are. When God instituted marriage with Adam and Eve, he had one man one woman. Right. That's how it's supposed right. to be. That's a partnership, not a corporation. And and one thing I also like to bring up is if you take the beginning with mm. uh, Joseph Smith yeah. and then Brigham Young and the way it, it continued to evolve mm. and to the polygamy groups today, there is not one instance in the Bible where this is copied. No. That there is no polygamy group type polygamy in the Bible at all. It's at all, all just been just tweaked and yeah. corrupted. It's not yeah. been. And another thing too, one more thing I'd like to say before we go to another call is that um, uh, polygamy in the Bible is always negative. Nothing yes. positive about polygamy in the right. Bible. We have all kinds of crimes that God mentions and bad behavior and lifestyles that God mentions in the Bible. The Bible is true. It shows us what uh, what sinful, corrupt characters can do. And, um, and all kinds of sin are mentioned. But that doesn't mean that we have to copy them. It teaches us not to. Jacob did not have a tranquil home life. No, he didn't. Okay. <laughs> Okay, let's go to line two, Jim from Kimmer, Wyoming. Hello, Jim. Hello, Doris. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Good. Hey, uh, I was just curious. I'm kind of new to the, the West here. I just moved from back east, and, okay. and I believe I'm a, a Christian at heart, and I'm just kind of tuned across your program. So I was kind of wondering, um, do the Mormons still practice polygamy out here? 
the Mormons don't, but there are polygamy groups, and there's a lot of them. A lot. And they are offshoots or, you know, break-offs from the mainline Mormon church. But the Mormon church itself does not practice literal polygamy, but they still believe in it, and they do practice it in their temples. They will seal um, one man to several right. women. They will have what's called serial polygamy, which is... Uh, fully authorized, if your first wife dies and you were sealed to her, you can marry another woman who isn't sealed to someone else and you can be sealed to her and then you'll have plural wives in the afterlife. Uh, that's, they, they still believe the concept, they still believe the principle, they're just being told that they believe that they can't do it now mm -hmm. in life, mm -hmm. except the that's fundamentalists do. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's some, Jim, there's somewhere between an estimated thirty to 100,000 polygamists in the yeah. Intermountain West. Right. Wow, so, that's quite a few. There's a lot yes. of them, yeah. yeah. And, and the other question I have, you know, if we're true Christians, which I believe I am, yeah. I mean, why do I spend, why, why would you spend time uh, putting down other people instead of bringing them up and, and, and practicing true Christianity, in my belief? Well, that that is a... A kind of a a trap that is is laid when people say that. Okay, in order to set a person free, you have to break a chain. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's and that what we're trying effort. to do. It takes a lot of effort. I've been through that. Doris has been through that. Many people listening and the people that are in this audience in this uh, studio today have been through that. And if someone hadn't helped to break that chain for us we'd still be bound, we'd still be enslaved. And it takes the truth to set free those who are bound up in the lie. That's right. And if we just let them go ahead and live in the lie and die and, 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 and die without Jesus, die without the truth, that, the, the worst hateful thing yeah. you can do is to hide the truth from people. I felt so free and liberated when I finally realized that I'd been deceived by something and I'd been enslaved by something that simply wasn't true. And only then could I really grow in a relationship with God. This is what we're trying to go and offer to other people right. by, by helping to break those chains. Exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful thing that you're doing, Ben. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank uh, you very much, Jim. You know, Howard Stern is a, a prophet. Pardon? What was that? What did you say? Howard Stern is a great prophet among people. Oh, well, we're, we'll go to our next call. <laughs> we'll talk Galen about that another time, Salt perhaps. But thank you, Jim. <laughs> Hello, Galen. Hello, Dora. Good yeah. to talk to you. You're on the air, Galen. It's good to talk to you. What's your question? Question for Mr. Larson. Mr. Larson, yes. since Joseph Smith was probably a practicing uh, sexual pervert, in your opinion, <laughs> yes. do you think the ancient prophets who practiced polygamy, especially Abraham, was a sexual pervert? Thanks. Not necessarily. No. Uh, I, and I appreciate your, your freeing the line there. Not necessarily. I don't think that Abraham was a, a sexual pervert, and I don't think that people who live within a culture where polygamy exists must be a sexual pervert to practice it. I mean, cultural norms and, and, and attitudes define all kinds of things. I'm glad I didn't live in late Abraham's day. There are many things I wouldn't have liked, okay? Uh, I'm glad I didn't live in Joseph Smith's day. There were many things I wouldn't have but liked. Abraham didn't go propositioning married Abraham women. did he not go on out trying to... Wives. No, he didn't. He didn't. Uh, Joseph Smith lived in a culture where that type of thing was taboo, that type of thing was wrong. Everybody understood that. There had been 
1,800 years of Christian monogamy being practiced and taught and understood, and Joseph Smith broke with all of it in order to go and fulfill his lust below the belt line. So that was how I see that. Okay. Um, again, this person probably is, is trying to understand why Joseph Smith would not be a true prophet of God. Uh, trying to marry the Old Testament polygamous no. with Joseph Smith's polygamy, and it just doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work because, again, the Old Testament patriarchs and so forth, or the, or the people who did practice polygamy in a culture that practiced polygamy, never did so or said they were doing so because of a commandment of God. Right. There is not one word in the Bible where a person talks about their wives being given to them by God in order to go and exalt them further. Joseph Smith made all of that up. And their salvation did not depend upon it. And no. they didn't teach that you'd become a God if you lived polygamy. Oh, I mean, they never taught. A, a, the only person in the Bible that ever taught that you become a God is Satan. Uh, that's exactly right. There's an off-the-air question. Oh. Is, uh, the question is, would Emma have had to give up everything if she left Joseph by law? Well, I don't know the law in those days, but I don't probably either. she probably would have had to give up a lot. I know that divorced women back east were more protected in some areas than in others. But Emma lived in a culture that her husband had created. There was very little else that she could do. I think a good example of what would have happened to Emma is what happened after Joseph's death. When she was looked upon still as as an elect lady, as the as the wife of the fallen prophet, and so forth, until Brigham Young took over the church, and then Emma didn't want anything to do. When Brigham Young went uh, west, Emma and a lot of other people stayed behind, and would not follow him, and they became bitter enemies. Uh, I think that if Emma had reacted any other way than but it's typical for a battered spouse to behave, that she would have found herself cut off, ostracized, and demonized by the people that she depended upon. And I don't think that, um, that Emma really liked the lifestyle that had been no. brought before because she didn't go west with the Mormons. She stayed there and, uh, and didn't follow Brigham Young and didn't follow with them. Um, we are getting very close. We have another caller in, but we're getting close to our closing time. So oh. I don't know if I dare take his, <laughs> if he would be real fast, but I'm not sure he would be. Uh, so why don't you just take a few seconds. If, if, if Travis from Janola would leave a message uh, to the operator, mm -hmm. then I will call him back after the show myself or okay. or Charles will, depending on what the question be glad is. To. Be glad to, Travis. But would you, would you just like to take maybe 20 seconds and, and summarize what we're trying to get across tonight? Of course. Um, section 132 is one of the most painfully blatant examples of Joseph Smith's self-glorification and manipulation of his wife that you could possibly imagine. And once you look at this from a character analysis of the man, you can tell that, that well, he, he did things like, he said that, he, I am God, I'm telling you that your uh, exaltation is sealed and nobody can go and examine you, nobody can judge you, nobody can criticize you because if you do anything wrong, then you can resolve that with me. And if, if your wife doesn't go with this, if a man has the keys that I've just given to you and teaches his wife about these things and she doesn't accept it, 
I will destroy her. So this was the message that he was doing to manipulate Emma. Read section 132 again with your eyes open. Yeah, yeah. And it will make you sick. Okay, the, the main purpose of our show is to help polygamists know certain truths that God has, has revealed in the Bible, truths that the polygamy groups just don't yeah. teach. And some of those truths are that His love is unconditional, He has never commanded polygamy, that Jesus is the Savior, polygamy isn't, and that eternal life is a life of God's grace uh, through faith. It isn't by works. You need to know that polygamy isn't right just because your forefathers lived polygamy or just because uh, it's you think it's the right thing to do. It's possible that they were wrong too. And you can safely renounce polygamy and everything that goes with it without fear of God's wrath. God is love, and He loves you too much to require anything that includes polygamy. You need to know that God has decreed that each woman is to have her own husband, that we answer only to Jesus Christ. We don't have a mediator here that takes His place. You need to know that the gospel was never lost. It never needed to be restored, that you can trust God to keep all of His promises. But most of all, you need to know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of your sins, which completely voids the need for polygamy. All your sins can be forgiven when you fully believe and embrace Jesus Christ to, uh, as your Savior, which completely voids the need for any good works to try and earn favor with God. You need to know all these truths because it's the truth that sets you free. Some people need to know all these things before they can be free enough to exchange polygamy for Jesus. But when you do, you will be free in Jesus. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.